this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. Next week, Sunday, 31st of October, 2021, we start a new teaching series. It's based on this book and goes by this title, The Bible, A Story That Makes Sense of Life. The book's written by Dr. Andrew Ollerton, and indeed we have Andrew with us to launch this series that will take us up to Christmas. It's basically a Bible overview that identifies different sections of the Bible and how the Bible answers humanity's deepest needs and challenges. I'm sure you're going to love it. Today is our concluding episode of Race, the Conversation. We know you've been having great conversations in C3 groups, and we want that to continue. But I've had a song in my mind all week, uh, which I think I sang at school, Make Me a Channel of Your Peace. And some of the lines from that frame the approach that we want to take as we have these conversations. It goes like this. Oh, Master, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. It's been a different type of teaching series where we've been in conversation with a lot of our black and brown brothers and sisters, and we've enjoyed hearing their experience and their views on some of these matters. We'd really encourage you, keep having the conversation. Of course, we have our theological and biblical paper that we've adopted from the AOG, which you can get a copy of if you haven't, and that tells you very clearly where we stand biblically on these matters of race and racial unity. Today we have Chris Muanguzi with us. He's not just a friend of the house, he's a member of our family here. He's part of the C3 family. Chris trained as a journalist and then as a psychotherapist, and now he's the CEO of Child's Eye Foundation. Let me read to you what the Child's Eye Foundation does. They develop innovative and replicable interventions with long-term sustainable solutions and outcomes for children and families at risk of social exclusion and marginalization. I think you'll feel the love in this conversation. Please welcome Chris Muanguzi. Welcome to this, our final session on Race the Conversation. Uh, this one's going to be a little bit different than our previous sessions. In the, in the other interviews we've done, we felt we had uh, friends of the family, but this week we feel we've got someone who is in the C3 family. So would you please welcome, put your hands together and welcome Chris Muanguzi. Great to have you with us, Chris. Thank you for having me. It's really great to be here. Absolute pleasure. Um, now, you've become part of the C3 family, so I'm going to start with this first question. Uh, why? It's not, it's, people sometimes think it's an easy decision joining a church. It's not. You're bringing your family here, influence, going to root here. Why did you decide on C3? No, great question. Uh, for, well, first of all, you're right. It is not easy choosing a church, and I've, I've had to work through that for the last six years. Uh, and I have been a member of another church, and my family has been. Um, I think the most important thing I'll let you know is there was a time when my wife, Chirabo, and our children were living in Uganda, and I was here. Uh, and then I moved to Uganda, and they moved back. And so we couldn't belong to the same church. Um, but the reason we were drawn and chose to join C3 was because of C3's focus on community. I really wanted to be a part of a church that wasn't insular. I wanted to be a part of a church that thought about those people around them. 
Uh, we live in Cambridgeshire. It's a beautiful place. Um, and we think that the work of C3 and the work that C3 does in its community, not just with its members in church, is significant. Um, I'm about the community and I love that work. Uh, that's what I do in a living, for a living. So um, we joined C3 and, and actually we joined together because my wife and I and our children had a say in this. Uh, it's also got a great kids program. So we're very happy to be here. Great, yeah. great to have you. Well, we'd love to get to know you a little bit more. Tell us a bit more about you, your family, what you do in life. Yeah, tell us a bit more. Okay, um, how long have you got? <laughs> So, no, I'm, so, well, you, you know my name, it's uh, Christopher. My African name is Muanguzi Mugalu. Uh, Muanguzi is the name that was given to me at birth. I was born blue, um, tangled in my, ma in my umbilical cord, and uh, uh, Mugalu is my father's name. Uh, the meaning of Muanguzi is victor, and so I hope that's be been bestowed on me for life. Um, so I'm a dad and a husband. I've got a, an amazing wife, uh, Chirabo. We've been married for 15 years. Um, we've got two children, Christopher Jr. or Christopher Chobe, and uh, our daughter, Nia Tangaza. Uh, Nia is three and Christopher is eight. Um, a bit about me, so I'm a psychotherapist, but trained as a journalist before that. And the reason I changed uh, my entire profession is I just got tired of telling the story and not having a solution. And it, it, you know, being at the front of disadvantage or pain and suffering, war. So I worked a bit for the BBC in the UK and went to Sierra Leone and reported on that. Um, but also I initially trained as a journalist, so I got to write a lot of stories. Um, but I wanted to do more. So when I came to the UK to do my masters, I worked at Quorum and they were very good to send me off uh, and, and do my psychotherapy degree um, at the Tavistock in London. Uh, Quorum is a children's charity in the UK. And I've trained, I trained as a psychotherapist, but here's what I do now. I'm uh, a team leader of a small organization called Child's Eye Foundation, and we strengthen families and communities to prevent family and child separation. Um, and for people who are hearing about that for the first time, you know, when there's disadvantage, children are separated from their parents because their parents can't cope. Mm -hmm. It happens in the UK, it happens in Africa, in Asia. And what we are trying to do is prevent that so that children don't end up becoming child soldiers, don't end up going into child labor, and don't end up in places that will cause them more harm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Amazing, amazing work, yeah, amazing. Tell us a little bit about um, how you first got involved in issues around racism and how that really looks like for you. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, my story has always been about social justice. My mom planted that seed in, in my heart uh, from a very young age. Um, she herself uh, is a feminist, was a feminist, and did a lot of work in supporting equality and just a better place for women. So I watched her do this. I watched her go to Beijing, the big conference, the famous yeah. Beijing conference. Um, I watched her speak for women. Um, my mom lost our father very young, and she refused to use the term widowed um, because she felt that that was a label and refused to call us orphans. Um, and she's written a book which isn't published yet, but I've been reading that book, and this is linked to the question you've asked me. 
because in that book she talks a lot about wanting her children to understand that life could be better for us and for those around us. So the racial justice or tackling injustice around race for me happened when I came to the UK and I was running a program called Boys to Men, a program that was working with young black boys um, in, in, in London neighborhoods. And on a Friday evening, I got a call from a social work department and they said, hi, we've got, and I'll use a different name, we've got John here. Um, this is his background and it was a black or brown background, but we can't do anything for him. Uh, and I said to her, well, your social services, but we can't do anything for him because he's from Jamaica. Uh, and I said, okay, well, what training have you had to cope with these issues? Well, we're referring to you because you are the specialist organization. He was referred to us because he was a black boy from Jamaica. And yes, we were an organization that worked with young black boys, but we were not social services. And his issue were around uh, abuse, um, separation, and a lot of things that we couldn't address as an organization, but social services would. It's at that point that I decided with the group of people I worked with that we would start to support social service departments, the police, to address issues that link to black community or the black community from a perspective that wasn't prejudiced or biased, but one that integrated them. And that's the beginning of my journey. Uh, ever since then, it's never changed. I keep saying to people, if you can work with anyone else, then you should be able to work with young black or young brown boys. Uh, so, Chris, we, were, we, we feel like we've got a great bridge of relationship with you. We haven't known you that long, but we feel very secure in you and, and we feel like a good relationship. So I'm going to ask you some questions, which I'm sorry we have to ask. I'm sorry we have to ask because I think we, we probably should be beyond these, but, but we're not. Um, and I know from questions that people are asking us, and some of these questions are questions people have asked us, done our best to answer, but I honestly think you can answer them, them better. So I'm going to ask this one. We're going we're gonna to go there. What is white privilege? And what can we particularly, as white people, do in order to identify it, to not feel, because this is what often comes up, when we, when we use the phrase, people start getting very defensive, they feel shamed, oh, I'm sorry that I am, and they apologize. And I know that's not what is meant behind it. So what is white privilege, and how can we respond to it in a non-shameful, embarrassed way and do something about it? Okay, okay. So first of all, I, I'm going to say that I hope I can answer all these questions, and I don't know that I have enough time to, but I'm going to give it a go. The other thing I need to say, and I wrote this for myself, is um, I am completely coming at this from a message of love. Um, it is important for us to understand as Christians, but also as human beings, that we are loved by God and God wants us to love each other. But let me, let's talk about white privilege. Um, let, me, let, me, let me give you an example. There's a fantastic video, and if people can Google white privilege race, that's a great video on YouTube that kind of shows you um, why white privilege is important to think about and to talk about. So without defining it, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, I'll use my own examples. I walked into a shop to buy things. Um, 
an Adidas store or a Nike store. Um, in this case, it was Foot Locker. And I remember walking around and looking around and checking my phone. I think I was browsing as my wife was in another store. And the shop attendant came and asked me if they could help me. Do you know what the first thing that came to my mind was? And this will surprise a lot of people, might not surprise others. Why are they asking if they can help me? It's their job. There shouldn't be an issue with that. I said, no, I'm fine. I'm just looking around. I kept walking around, and the shop attendant came back and asked me, are you sure? Can we help you? And I said, no, I'm, I'm actually fine. White privilege. For a lot of black or brown people, we are worried that we're being watched in those situations, that people think we're not there to buy things, but we might be there to take things. Um, it is very true that in most cases that might not be the case. But what brown and black people don't have is the opportunity to feel that way. White people may not necessarily feel that way. Another really easy example I can give you is, you remember the video of um, the gentleman in a park in New York with a lady and her dog and she calls the police? Yeah. That's white privilege. It's being able to ask for help. Yeah. where black folks can't, or where black people are disadvantaged and seen as the problem or the problematic person. Sure. White privilege is not the justice that's afforded to black people, it's the injustice that's afforded to us, where we are not able to defend ourselves because we're worried mm -hmm. about the bias mm -hmm. that can come across because of the color of our skin. Mm. Now, once again, it might be a very difficult concept for people to understand, and I'd really like people to talk to other black people about this feeling, what it feels like when the police turn up, what it feels like when you're driving mm -hmm. and you're worried that you might be stopped, mm -hmm. what it feels like when you think you've done something wrong, when you haven't done something wrong. Nice. But because of the color of your skin, you have to think twice. Sure. Um, last example I'll give you is, you know, um, you're coming through an airport and the alarm goes off and you're worried that you've got something going on but actually you don't the police pulls you aside and your heart's pulsing and you're really scared your sweaty palms not having the privilege to go I have done nothing wrong and be very very confident about that is often something that a lot of black people don't have okay. that's the best way I can give it as an example but I'd like people to have conversations about the meaning of it to other black people. Yeah. yeah. Can you just um, tell us, because we were talking earlier and off, off air, obviously, of being recorded, what was your response in the recent European Cup final when you saw the penalties being yeah. taken? Yeah. Um, I think the way you yeah. explained that, and, and it was a bit of a shock to me, and I'll say why, perhaps, when, yeah. when you tell the no, story. No, ab absolutely. Well, I mean, we were enjoying the football, my wife, my son, my eight-year-old son, Christopher, and I. And it wasn't until the point of the penalties that we sat there really worried. And our son turned to us and said, you know, when all the brown and the black guys walked onto the pitch, will there be a problem if they miss the penalty? Now, we were already thinking it, and we were very worried about it. And after the game ended, and sadly England lost, we were vying for England, uh, we, my wife and I agreed to have a conversation with our son that night and the next morning. And the conversation we had with him was, somebody might say something to you about the penalties. 
and everything that was missed. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you saw what happened in the media soon mm -hmm. after that. We have to have those conversations. So absolutely, Steve, white privilege is not being able to worry about those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. where black people or brown families have to wake up and think. Yeah. yeah, we talk to our kids about mm. the police and not getting into trouble. And if you are in trouble, stand still, don't do this, don't fight. Mm -hmm. Those are conversations a lot of white folks don't have you to have. You see, for me in that conversation, that was really helpful because yeah. I was gutted that England lost the penalties, yeah. but I had no, mm. nothing came into my yeah. mind about those guys being black and missing, which yeah. just is a, a sign of my white privilege because I didn't yes. even have to Think, think about, about it. that. Yes. Whereas for you, that was something you knew Absolutely. was coming up. Yeah, yeah. And we were, we were really worried that something would happen to our son. Yeah. Uh, that somebody might say something. That he might be playing football and be called something. Mm -hmm. So we, we had to prepare him. And we, could, we didn't do enough. Uh, mm -hmm. At least we didn't think we did enough. But that's something we have to constantly do for him now. Right. Somebody might say something to you. Sure, yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you. And we talk about white privilege, we talk about racism, um, and sometimes as a white person, um, white people can have this kind of reaction and this defensiveness, and they try to think, well, so about what about this? And one of the things that might be, what about this, yes. is what about black and brown? Yes. Is there racism in uh, black and brown people? Mm -hmm. Is it classed as racism? Um, is it just on black and white? No, that's a really good question, and I like that Steve said we're going there. Mm. Um, so I, I, I personally don't believe that there can be racism from a black to white person, uh, but there's a lot of things that have been written about this, and I think it's mm -hmm. important to have that conversation. But let me draw you to where the important part of this conversation is, and I'll explain why that's the case for me. Um, it is very easy for us to forget that in having the conversation about who's being racist, mm. it becomes he said, she said, or he mm. said, he said. Yeah. And what we really need to focus on is the hurt that mm. the action is causing to the individual. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Ibram X. Kendi will, is a fantastic person who talks a lot about uh, black on white racism, and you can read more about that there. But coming back to this point, um, for most black people, when they talk about racism and what mm -hmm. they've experienced, it's not just historical, yeah. but it's ongoing and it's ignored. And as I was saying to you earlier on off camera, um, the only time we talk about these things and it becomes so public and so important mm -hmm. is when an incident happens, right. when a black man dies, George Floyd. Yeah. Um, I mean, can you imagine? It, it took George Floyd's death mm. for us to think about racism again at yeah. that scale. For companies to, 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 to make it very clear that they support black lives. Um, the England Cup, the, the, mm. foot, the, the finals, the, UFA fi the, the Europe finals, mm. which was for me a really amazing mm. thing that brought us together. And, I, and you could see it. We'll talk about England being a nation. Yeah. And then that little incident just turns into a whole social media, you know, horrible mm. things yeah. in there. Yeah. So coming back to that point, that isn't suffered enough by white people. Mm. I mean, the white 
people who missed the penalty in football were not mm. abused mm. Um, at the, in the way that the black sure, guys who missed yeah. the penalties were. It wasn't thought about in that way. Um, we need to be very careful when we think about the impact of racism. Mm. And to answer your question again, for me, the impact of racism is really heavy and painful on black people. And a lot of us are not paying mm. attention to that. Mm. The hurt against a white person is being paid attention to, and that's the privilege. So mm. let's come back to that white privilege thing. Mm -hmm. So actually, if a black person hurt a white person, and you, you, know, you tend to see this in the papers, you know, who killed who? Was it a black person? Mm. Very possibly going to be a black person. That prejudice, that bias is made. But when it's a black person, people usually use the term black and black crime. Mm. You know, that's happening. Let's sweep it under the carpet. And actually, that's one of the other reasons I came into this work. I was very worried that when black boys got into trouble, mm. people made the assumption that it was a black boy's problem. Mm. It isn't. These black boys are children, yeah. and they should be seen as that. Yeah. So we should take away the labels and the prejudice and the bias and even think about the term racism as a hurtful, hateful action against an individual that needs to be stopped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You've had a lot of work working with young adolescents, with children in that. Anything more that you want to unpack on that? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the pain, um, I guess I'll talk about microaggression mm. uh, and, and the impact that that has on, on individuals who experience it. And, and I'll give you an example of women as well, mm -hmm. because we have microaggression in gender. Um, walking to an office every day, having comments made about how short your skirt is, the mm -hmm. color of your hair, the color of your nails, mm -hmm. the heels you're wearing, can have a really long-term effect on you. Mm -hmm. I liken that to what happens to children growing up. Right. As we parent our children, we will have messages that we pass on to them. Don't do this, don't touch yeah. that, stop this, stop that. No, 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 no. And you often hear parents who go, where do they get no from? Okay. Well, we're saying it to them. That's the microaggression. Mm -hmm. So children learn from adults. Mm -hmm. And that is something that they have, that's something that has a long-term impact on them in their adulthood. Well, adults experience from adults. So in the race conversation, Saying things to somebody, and I'll give you an example. If I walked into a lift to go up into my workspace every day, and there was little comments made about me, under breath, or, you know, he's going to miss the penalty, probably won't do well today, oh, another black person, they smell, or whatever, right. then I'm likely to have stress-related impact mm -hmm. from that experience walking to any lift where I see mm -hmm. a group of white individuals. Last example I'll give you is, you've, I'm sure you've heard the phrase skinheads mm. and how people walk, used to cross the road. Not just black folks, but even some white folks yeah. used to cross the road. That bias, that worry. Mm -hmm. Or remember back in the 80s with the punks? Yeah. Oh, there's a punk, they're probably going to hurt me. Yeah. The majority of those guys were pretty easygoing, fun-loving people. Mm -hmm. But there was that bias and that fear and that mm -hmm. worry. Those are the microaggressions. Mm. And actually, sometimes with microaggression, you cause aggression. Right. That's one of the impacts. People start to want to defend themselves. They won't fight. They won't, fi they won't run. They'll want to stand their ground. And that's what used to happen with skinheads and punks. Mm -hmm. They were worried that they might be attacked, that mm -hmm. people might harm them. Mm -hmm. 
So microaggressions are really important. We need to think about them. Um, and even me in my daily life, in my conversations with my wife, mm -hmm. you know, in my waving of my hands, in the arguments I make, in the position I take, mm -hmm. in the way that I sit and speak to her, mm -hmm. I have to think about that mm -hmm. as a man. I encourage us, even in our, in our skin color, to be thinking carefully about how we speak to each mm -hmm. other. Happens with age too. Mm -hmm. um, an older man standing up and pointing down at a younger person, mm -hmm. you know, that is demeaning. Those are the little microaggressions. So we need to think about that in lots of contexts, but it happens a lot in race and isn't thought about a lot in race. Mm. Yeah. You, you use issues of, and you mentioned your mum being a, a, um, a feminist and very supportive of women in leadership, wouldn't take the, the widow label, all of that. Do you think there's a lot of crossover? Because you're using some issues there of, of gender. Mm in regard to, to race? Do you think there's a lot then that, that crosses over and, and, and has the same effect? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in my pursuit to justice, uh, whether it was with health, from the mental health aspect, uh, gender and race, those things actually, for me, are very similar. Sadly, though, what I've found is that we don't give them equal weight. Right. Mm -hmm. um, mental health. Um, what do you mean you're depressed? Get on with it. Man up. You really shouldn't present that way. You are the man in this family. You've got to do better. Now, take those words and apply them to race. We are talking more about the mental health agenda and how we have to be caring and how we have to be much more serious about it. So much so that a lot of it is even being criminalized. But that isn't happening for race. And often people go, we're tired. We can't be tired of hearing about mental health. So why are we tired about hearing about race? Mm -hmm. Gender. We have to have this conversation. I'm a great supporter of it. And I think we have to have it because they're interlinked. And actually, what I have found, and to answer your question, is that when people tend to understand one thing, then they understand the other. Mm -hmm. So a really quick example I'll give you is, do you remember when we didn't have disability ramps in front of shops? Mm -hmm. Can you imagine mm -hmm. when that was not the law yet? Mm -hmm. And people never considered or thought about how a person, you know, will need wheelchair access. I mean, look at the stations in London. Sometimes you have to go to five different stations, mm -hmm. and that is appalling. Mm -hmm. That is how serious this is, and we can't afford to sweep it under. And I'm not saying that one is more important than the other, mm -hmm. but what I'm saying is that these justice issues, these equality issues, have got to be seen and thought of the same way. Often people, again, these are questions that come back to us, yeah. so, sorry to ask you, but often people will say, oh, but this is just a, a woke agenda that mm. we're playing to. We're playing into, Ooh. especially as Christians, we say, we're playing into the world system. Mm. Um, what is wokeness? And why should the church be addressing some of the issues mm. that a woke, if I can <laughs> use it in that way, um, structure brings to the fore? Okay, so I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to quote some Bible verses and then come back to this. You know, Philippians 2, 3, 4 tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And then 4 says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you, you to the interests of others. I mean, that's such an amazing scripture for me. And, and, and actually, that's driven a lot of my thinking. Um, and it's what I want to teach my children every day. 
So woke and wokeness. Um, I've, I've often said to you, Stephen Ange, that defining words sometimes takes away from what they mean to us. Mm. Um, let's not get stuck in that word. Let's get stuck in the importance of doing good. Mm. Let's get stuck in the importance of doing better. Jesus didn't defend wrong things. Uh, I mean, he challenged the status quo. And in the Bible, we see him do it, whether it was around tax collectors mm. or how we treated women or children or poverty or what we did in the Sabbath. And he tells us to live by faith and not by the law. And the concept of being woke is that it's time to change things and we should be doing things differently. And in the future, there'll be a different way we see things. But that's exactly what Jesus was doing in the Bible. He was saying, you know, wake up, let's see that things can be done differently. You do it this way and that's what you've been taught because the law tells you to do that. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, we've got a lot of policies, structural issues mm -hmm. in our society, systemic things that have been here, archaic ways of doing things. Yeah. I often talk about policing. I love the police, I respect them. I took my son to meet them. And that wasn't because I was worried about a race issue, but I wanted to teach him that actually not all police are bad. Mm. In doing that, I recognize that the system and that the way that policing is done and enforced mm. is very archaic. We need to, I'll use the phrase, wake up and realize that in 2021, with everything that's going on, we've got to change the approach. Mm. So in some communities, I know that there is community policing that's emphasized or policing without the outfit so that the police can interact with young people or the youth and help them to see how things are done differently. Most police officers who turn up in their uniform have a very big statement they're making. Often their hats are down, they're in a, 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 a vest that is, is knife-proof. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and yes, they've got to be in that way because the situation might mm -hmm. present as dangerous. But it isn't always dangerous, and policing shouldn't happen only when there is danger. Mm. Policing should happen all the time. Now, I, I don't want to labor the point about the police. I want to come back to your point. If we focus on this being a walk message, then we label it and forget mm. that this is the message that the Bible gives us every day. Mm. I'll read you another one really quickly. 1 John 419 to 21. We love because he loved us. Mm. We love because he loved us. So I love you because he loved me. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And 21 says, and he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And for me, that is very clear. There was, you know, this is not a walk agenda. This is a clear purpose of why we're here on earth. If we want to exist together, then we shouldn't be diverted by the walk agenda. What we should be focused on is the message that the Bible gives us to love each other. Um, things are changing. Uh, we love our environment more. Yeah. We're doing better for it. Uh, there will be a time when there will be less cars that are powered by fuel and diesel, sure. and there'll be more cars that are powered by electricity. Um, we're going through that now. We must embrace that as our journey because we have to do better. Mm. 
So this is more about doing better. And for me, the woke agenda is, is clear about what it's doing, but if we get confused by it, then we miss the point. We start thinking about the people and the group of people instead of the very clear message. The clear message from that agenda is we must do better. Mm -hmm. So let's focus on that. That's good, Chris. Okay. Great. Is there anything else we need to explore today? Um, time is of the essence, looking at my clock and watch here. Um, maybe one, one last thing I can think of, unless Angie's got anything else to say, is one of the defensive responses, of mm. course, again, and I think it is, we get defensive, is, yeah, black lives matter, oh, yes. but oh, all yes. lives matter. Yes. <laughs> and so we, we add that, which... which well, I don't want to answer the question. Uh, that kind of downplays the issue. What, why is it important mm, to say mm, Black Lives Matter mm, and to mm. promote that um, without feeling we have to then come in with a counterbalance, all lives matter? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, to answer that question, I often get asked what people should read. Uh, and I often say the Bible. <laughs> and um, again, we need to learn our history as human beings and really understand it to understand why black lives matter and why that should be the phrase and not all the other phrases that kind of compound that. Um, black lives matter because for a very long time, as I said earlier on, it has been a challenge to talk about issues to do with race. Um, there are so many books that were written back in 2016, in 2017 that addressed this subject that have now become really popular because of the death of George Floyd. Um, the representation of black males or young black boys in prison is not a new issue. We've seen it before. Mm. Understanding why they're in there is answered when we think about black lives matter. Um, the conversation about race and where it is, the injustice on people of color or black and brown people is a very important conversation for us to focus on. It doesn't mean that no one else matters. It just means that we need to focus on this subject right now. Um, the little example I can give you is, we don't say all children matter, do we? Um, we talk about children with cancer. And when we see that, we don't go, oh, I don't want to watch this video with a child with cancer because all children matter. At that point, we are focused in thinking about children with cancer, and we need to support yeah. children with cancer. We need to adapt an approach that supports the issue mm. as a community, as a church. And right now, we're not saying that everyone's issues are not important. We're saying that Black Lives Matter mm. because of what's happening, because of the systemic racism. And actually, I should say this, I don't believe that the human race is inherently racist. I don't believe that white people are born racist or become racist because that's their gene. Yeah. I think you are taught racism. Mm. And I think that, I always say this, behavior doesn't happen in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. It's an experience. We want to stop that experience by saying very clearly, black lives matter, and it has to be that clear. And that's why that, those words are so clear. Mm. If you think about them and you read the history and understand it, then you begin to understand why black lives mm. should matter. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Is there anything further you want to say to us as a church, as C3, those listening on, before we close in prayer and I pray think, for us? 
I think the one thing, actually, yeah, there's one message I'll leave us with. God has blessed us, and um, he has designed us to live for something bigger than ourselves. Uh, and I think that's a really important thing we should think about, whether it's what you do in your job or what you do for your community. Um, I know that when I come to church on a Sunday, I, I kind of reset myself. Mm. There's so many challenges. I have to fundraise. I've got my family. I've got my family abroad. But when I'm here, I'm in the presence and I go, you know what? There's something bigger that I'm here for. And if I focus on that, then everything else mm -hmm. will become smaller. We are better together, and by his grace and for his glory, the best is yet to come. Amen. We are better together, and I know that. I think that once we overcome this race issue, and I believe we will in my lifetime, mm. then we will be better together, um, and we will overcome these issues together. Right. right. Yeah. Pray for us, Chris. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our lives. We thank you that you created us in our different ways but with one purpose. We thank you that you bring us together to praise you as one church, as one voice. We thank you for the gift of life that belongs to all of us, the color of our blood, the fact that there is not much difference but the color of our skin when you look deeper into us. We thank you for your love and we thank you for the blessing of your gift of kindness. Father, we just pray that you give us all that, remind us all of that gift and allow the Holy Spirit to give us that, remind us of the love that you gave us, the love that you left us with when you died on the cross for all of us, not just for some of us. And Father, we, we ask that the message that we've discussed today touches many, many more people and that it's passed on and that people hear it and that people are able to speak without fear, Lord, and that those who hear them also let them speak without scaring them. Father, we thank you for this, and we just thank you for C3 and the opportunity for us to be in this moment and to continue discussing this. This we pray believing in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Chris. We appreciate that. A round of applause for Chris. That is the end of the series, but brothers and sisters, you know this is not the end of the conversation. That's Let's right. keep talking. I love Chris's statement there about believing this will end in his lifetime. Uh, he's a younger man than I, but uh, I believe with him as well that we can, be, we can do better and we yeah. can see different. Yeah. Keep talking, keep loving. If any of you disagreed with what's been said, then that love cover and let's keep talking and keep it in the light. God bless. Can we give Chris another round of applause? I think that was, that was so good. I'm sure he's watched today. Thank you, Chris, for sharing your heart and for teaching us and encouraging us and, and looking at, pointing us forward to that hope. Because, you know, this, when, when we think about this, as is, is we've said throughout this series, this is not a response to culture in, in as much as this is a discipleship issue. You know, we read about the early church, the early church, there was no concept of multi-ethnic church because that was church. That is church. That is the church that Jesus has called us to build, where we all come together. As we read in Ephesians, one body, one body together. And so it's great to hear from a member of our body to encourage us in that. And I love what Chris said, just, just right there at the end, he said that God has designed us to live for something bigger than ourselves. God has designed us to live for something bigger than ourselves. And I'm sure for many of you, that's been your experience. I know that's my experience of was about oh, a long time ago now, I guess 10 years ago maybe, where I, I became acutely aware of this 
gap inside me that there was something that was not right, that there was a hole that was trying to fill with all kinds of things. And that's that something bigger than ourselves, eternity that is set in our hearts. And I want to encourage you today, if you're here and you've got that feeling, you're maybe asking that question, well, what is the what is the bigger that I need to live for? What is it that God has designed me to live for? Because believe me, wherever you're listening, watching right now, God has designed you for more. God has designed you for relationship with Him. That is the thing that fills that gap, that allows you, propels you forward on this journey of being more loving, of being more patient, of being more caring, of being more generous, because these are the things that reflect the heart of God. And when the Spirit of God comes and lives within you, it unites you to the body. And so we want to encourage you today to, to like Chris, join this family. We want to encourage you to join this C3 family, but also to connect with God and join the family of God that exists around the world. And I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment. And we're going to pray it all together to support those who are praying this for the first time. Or maybe, hey, you were, you were once in that place. You were once walking with God, but life has got in the way. Life has got busy and something's happened and you've stepped away. But you want to today, you want to say, actually, no. I want to come back. I want to live for that more. I want to connect with my maker, with my God. And so we're going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to ask us to pray in a moment with our heads bowed and eyes closed. And then afterwards, whether you're online or whether you're here in the room, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond, a physical action to say, hey, this is my line in the sand. This is my moment. Today I choose to do differently. So let's pray this together. And those of you praying it for the first time, respond afterwards. Jesus, thank you for accepting me just as I am. But today I choose to live life your way, to accept that on that cross, you have united me to my God. Today I choose to live your way, to make you my Lord, and go on this journey of discipleship. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. And with our heads bowed, eyes closed, still in the room, if that's you today, would you just raise your hand as a sign, a physical sign? Hey, this is me today. This is my line in the sand. I am joining with God today. I want to do things your way. Awesome. And if you're online, put a note in the comment. We'd love to connect with you and celebrate with you and help you on this journey of discipleship. Well, let's give a round of applause for what God is doing here in this place today. It's so good to be able to worship with you all today. And if you've made that decision online, as we say, get in touch. If you've made that decision today, but I couldn't quite see you out there, head to our Next Step Lounge. In fact, Wherever stage you're at, if you've not been to the Next, Step La- Next Steps Lounge and thought about the next step in your journey of discipleship here at C3, can I encourage you to head to our Next Step Lounge, meet with the team. They would love to encourage you and share with you about all that's going on. There's so much going on here. We can't say it all from the platform, so head to the Next Steps Lounge. If you're not in a group, hey, get in a C3 group. You can discuss more what Chris was sharing this week if you join with a C3 group. And if there's anything from today or just life this week that you'd love to pray about, there's going to be a prayer team down here at the front at the end of the service. They would love to pray with you. But right now we're going to stand to our feet. If you're at home, get ready to worship because we are going to close this service with a song of worship together. So let's jump to our feet and let's close with some worship.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you. Why not share it with your friends and family through social media? If you're not on the regular podcast list, then why don't you subscribe? Thank you especially to those that give. If you want to give to this ministry, you can go to our website, thec3.uk slash giving and get involved. God bless you.